Joshua 2 And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittan as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up onto the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had got out. Before the men lay down, she came up onto the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go on your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into this land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all of your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors or your house into the street, his blood shall be on his head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them down away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned, and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Good morning. 
I wonder, do you ever feel that you're not up to it? Whatever it might be. Perhaps you feel that you're not good enough for something. Or maybe that you're not in the right place. Or it's not quite the right time. Maybe you feel that you don't have the necessary skills or qualifications or gifts or knowledge for something. Or perhaps you just don't know where to start. I often feel like this, about ordinary things in everyday life, my family, my friends, my work, and also in things as I reflect about what God might like me to be or what God might like me to do. From how to put a toilet roll holder on the wall in the bathroom, literally a current issue in my household, right through to what God might want me to do in the next 10 years, I often don't feel up to it. I recently watched a TV programme called Marvellous, uh, which the BBC describe as the inspirational and incredible true story of Neil Baldwin, a man who refused to accept the label of learning difficulties and who has led an extraordinary life. Society might look at him and say, you're not up to it. But he didn't let anything hold him back in pursuing the things he wanted to do. I don't want to give too much away, but amongst other things, He's a registered clown who's travelled with a circus. He was awarded an honorary degree by Keele University back in 2013 for services that he offered there. Um, he offered to work for the then manager Lou Macari at his beloved Stoke City. Lou later wrote nine pages about Nello in his autobiography, describing him as the best signing that he ever made. He's known to be acquainted with the Archbishop of Canterbury, Gary Lineker, Prince Edward, I could go on. It is a heartwarming story, and if you've not seen it, it's called Marvellous. I commend it to you. But why do we love stories like that? It is the story of an unlikely person doing extraordinary things. His story challenges conventional thinking about who can do what. And as we look today at the story of Rahab, the latest figure in this series of treasure held in jars of clay, we will see another person used by God in a way that might challenge conventional thinking. If you ever feel ordinary or unlikely, then this story is an encouragement for you. Okay, We are ordinary, unlikely people that God can use to build his kingdom. So we're going to look at who Rahab was, what she knew, and then what she did. So to start, who, who was Rahab? If you turn the Bible to Matthew chapter 1, um, it starts with a long list of names. It's the genealogy or the ancestors of Jesus Christ. And there, in the first chapter of the first book in the New Testament, we find Rahab. This is how verse 5 goes. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Rahab is right there in Jesus' genealogy, a couple of generations before the great King David. And yet we know from the passage in Joshua chapter 2 that we have just heard, Rahab was a pagan, part of a culture that worshipped other gods. She was a Canaanite from the land that God had promised for his people. And she was a prostitute, holding that low position in society where people might look down on her, someone who has been wronged as much as she was a wrongdoer. For such a person, the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah seems an unlikely place to crop up. 
But in Rahab, we see the theme of redemption firmly woven there into the story of Jesus Christ. Unlikely people redeemed in unlikely places. So a couple of questions for us to consider just as we think about who was Rahab. Maybe you too feel unlikely or unsuitable or unworthy to play a part in God's plan. Maybe you feel you've made too many mistakes to be part of his story or you've experienced so much wrong that there's no way back. The story of Rahab dismisses that kind of thinking. It's not true. Or perhaps, as someone desiring to share the good news of Jesus with people who don't yet know him, are you ever inclined to think, yeah, but those people, really, they're not going to know him? Are there individuals or groups that you think are beyond the good news of God? The story of Rahab, again, should cause us to completely dismiss that kind of thinking. The spies in this story did not expect to find an ally within the walls of Jericho amongst their enemies, and yet that's exactly what God had in store for them. Where are the places that we would not dream of finding an ally? Who are the people groups that we think there's no way someone's heart there might be turning to God? Are there people who we subconsciously or even consciously consider enemies of God? In Romans 5 verse 10 we read, while we were still enemies of God, we were reconciled to him by the death of his son. There are no people who cannot be reconciled to God, even if they are seen as his enemies at the moment. And what does Rahab and who she is tell us about who God is? He has a people that we wouldn't dream of. He has chosen ones from amongst people that we might not dare to hope for. So let us be bold in our prayers for all sorts of people. Um, as we want to share the good news of who Jesus is. So that's who she was. Let's have a look a little bit at what did she know or where was her faith. Um, a second New Testament reference to Rahab comes in Hebrews chapter 11. If you know this chapter, or if you don't, this chapter is like a list with citations of all the heroes of faith in the Old Testament. And they're all there. Noah, who built the ark. Abraham, who was like the founding father of the people. Isaac, Jacob. Joseph, Moses, and there in verse 31, we read this. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And I'm just going to give you verse 32 because I like it as well. Verse 32 says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. All of those guys share verse 32. Rahab gets verse 31 to herself, and it begins with the words, by faith. She had faith, this pagan Canaanite prostitute. But, but how is that? On what grounds had she made this decision to welcome and support the cause of the spies? Well, she must have done some thinking before we read the events in this narrative when the spies arrived in the city. And we learn a little bit about it in the section that starts in verse 8 where she goes up onto the roof where she's hidden the spies and she has a short chat. In verse 10, we see her recounting to them that she knows of the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea and the escape from Egypt, the subsequent defeat of the kings of Sion and Og, and something of God's promise to give those people the land. And then we get to verse 11. I love verse 11. Based on the evidence that she's gathered, we see her simple declaration of faith. 
She says to the spies, verse 11, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. That's all she said about that. She believed the truth, but with minimal testimony to the God of Israel. She had no traditions or books or local prophets or teaching to tell her about God. No online webinars or or TV discussions. Rahab must have gleaned snippets of information from the word in the marketplace, the gossip in the queue at the well, what people were chatting about in the fields and on the street corners. And it was enough. If you're listening to this, almost certainly you know more about God than Rahab did when her knowledge was fanned into faith that then saved her. If you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, what are you doing with what you know? What is stopping you from believing the truth? Her step of faith saved her and her family. And if that's a step that you need to take, let me encourage you, actively pursue it. What is holding you back? With what you already know, how will you be able to excuse your unbelief when you come face to face with God? I know people, and perhaps you do, who know lots about God and the Bible, much more than me, and certainly much more than Rahab. But they don't believe. Knowledge does not save you. Faith is what saves you. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27, we learn that God uses the foolish things to shame the wise. Rahab's statement of faith was simple, humble, objective, and uncomplicated. I'll read it for you again. She said, The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. That was it. Vicky and I pray for our kids. Um, not, that they would not, not that they would know a lot about God, although that would be fine, but we pray that they would know him and put their faith and their trust in him. The people of Jericho were afraid. So was Rahab. They knew what she knew. But the difference was her faith in the God of heaven and the God of earth enabled her not to stay in her fear, but to step out of it. And as she turned to God, she was able to act. And so thirdly, we come to what did she do? We know who she was, we know what she knew, and let's see what she did. The third and final reference to Rahab in the New Testament comes in James chapter 2, where the author is affirming that faith, which we know Rahab has, she has faith, but faith without deeds or actions is dead. Abraham, who was mentioned earlier in the Hebrew list of heroes, is also in this passage, and he's joined by one other name, which you'll see as I read in verse 25. So James chapter 2, verse 25 says, In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. If Rahab had believed but then done nothing, it would have been no good. So what lessons can we learn from the actions of Rahab? How can it inform what we do for God as we seek to put our faith into action? I'm going to touch briefly on five things that maybe it would be helpful for you to think about. First, Rahab's actions were ordinary and practical. She did everyday things. She was drying flax up on the roof of her house. Everyone would have been doing that. She put hers to a good use that she hadn't intended, but there was nothing out of the ordinary there. She put the spies up in her home. She was used to having people enter her house. That's what she did here. Let us be in the habit of operating 
in our ordinary everyday. Rather than feeling the need or waiting for something dramatic or revolutionary to do for God, there are things for you to do in your days, in your context, in the relationships that you have now. Spurgeon, uh, a famous preacher from the old days, um, wrote a really good um, thought on this point. He said, May we see in all of you who are Christians the faith which works in its own sphere. God has made you what you are, a mother, a daughter, a husband, a servant, or a master. Serve God as such. There is something for you to do in your position. Extraordinary calls may come, and I pray, it's what Spurgeon wrote for his audience, and I echo it here for us at Oikos, extraordinary calls may come, and I pray that they may come to some here present, but they are not likely to be given to those who cannot use their present everyday opportunities. What is it that God's asking you to do today, tomorrow? How can your faith translate into deeds in the everyday? Secondly, we see that Rahab's actions were wise or shrewd. In verses 4 to 6, we see her act with reason, with common sense, with prudence, with tact. And I think this is linked to the fact she's operating with her, within her sphere. She understands what's going on and she kind of knows the parameters and what's sensible and what's wise and what's going to work. Um, she covered them with flax, the spies to hide them. She put them on a roof. She waited till after dark. In verse 16, we see her give good advice. She says to the spies, you go to the hills. When the men will go out looking for you that way, you go that way, wait there three days, they'll come back and then you'll be able to go around. She understood what was going to be going on and she gave good, wise advice. Sometimes our actions might need to be quick. Rahab didn't have a lot of time to make her plans. But our actions should not be hasty or reckless. Let us ask God to give us wisdom in the things that we are going to do for him. Thirdly, Rahab's actions were risky. She was willing to risk everything and everyone she knew for a God that she really didn't know very much about. There was risk in taking in and concealing the enemies. There was risk in deceiving uh, the king's men, letting them escape with a rope down the wall. It's all fraught with risk. Um, I can't remember who it was that first asked me this. How, how do you spell faith? And I'm like, F-I-A-T-H. I said, no, no, R-I-S-K. That's how you spell faith. Because if you're not risking something, then you don't have to have faith in anybody else. You're completely reliant on yourself for the process and the outcome. There is no real action of faith without an element of risk. And I was having a conversation with Vicky recently about the feeling that I am becoming increasingly fearful of things that I find risky. I feel challenged that I am becoming more aligned to our culture's prevailing sense of being risk averse rather than aligned to follow a God who may call me to step out in faith and that might feel risky. As life feels settled, am I really willing to risk things that might upset that? As life feels known, am I willing to risk the unknown? Are my actions too guarded by caution? I reflect that I think they are. I want to be in control of my life, my family, my children and the opportunities they have, the money I earn, the money I spend. What am I really prepared to risk? 
What is it that God wants to say to me about this through the example of Rahab? What is it he might want to say to you? Fourthly, we see that Rahab's actions were not carried out with perfection. The verse in James chapter 2 tells us she was considered righteous because of what she had done. Not that she did these things after she was considered righteous. Her trade as a prostitute would have been dishonouring to God. And yet it's from this context that she's able to invite men into her house without questions being asked. Although she ended up changed, marrying into and living amongst the Israelites, there is no suggestion in the text that she has changed her profession at this point in the story. And she lied. So we need to be cautious about what we take from her as we think about learning from her life and bringing those lessons into our own. When she was approached by the king's men looking for the spies, her reply in verse 4 started with the truth. She said, yes, the men came here, but it quickly develops untruths. I don't know where they came from, and I don't know where they've gone, and she goes into a whole bunch of other things that aren't true. I think in the same way that we might commend somebody, say, for deceiving the Nazis about the whereabouts of some Jews to protect their safety during the Holocaust, we can understand Rahab's actions here. Um, but for us, exceptional circumstances notwithstanding, the Bible is clear that lying is wrong. From the Ten Commandments to Jesus describing the devil as the father of lies, let us not go away thinking, oh, all right, right, when we put our faith into action, it's, we can go around telling lies. Um, the key is Rahab had put her trust in God, and she did the best with what she knew. God does not require us to be perfect to use us. There is grace for our mistakes. Praise him for that. God's purposes are larger than our ability to carry them out perfectly. I wonder, do you feel you've made mistakes and now God can't use you? Perhaps a conversation you tried to have with someone and it didn't go the way that you wanted it to go and now you feel that there's no real way back. Let me encourage you. There is. There's a way back. Or perhaps, aware of your own failings, you feel it would be inappropriate to challenge another brother or sister about something in their life, not wanting to be called a hypocrite. We're all sinful people. We all make mistakes. We all need the grace of God and then to show that grace to one another as we seek to challenge and help and encourage and support each other. So let us have hearts that desire to do the right thing for the right reason. Let us speak with fellow believers for advice. Let us ask God to lead us. But let us not become despondent where we make mistakes. Finally, Rahab's actions were diligent and reliable. She saw the job through. In verse, verses 18 to 20 particularly, there's, she's told, put down the red, red cord as a sign. And then there's all the other details to be adhered to to ensure that she and her family are safe. And we kind of know how the story ends a few chapters later for her. Um, so after this, the spies go back, they report to Joshua, they cross the river, um, they, they walk around the um, city, and eventually the walls come down in the way that God um, directed. And then in chapter 6 of Joshua, four chapters later on, they enter the city, and in verses 24 and 25 we read this. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. She saw it through. She put that scarlet cord in the window to save her. She put her family under its protection. That scarlet cord 
symbolic of just before this in the Israelites' history, the cord in her window like the blood of the lamb on the doors of Passover to keep the Israelites safe from death, and pointing forwards generations to Jesus Christ, whose blood would be shed to save all those who put their faith in him. So who was she? She was the most unlikely person on all accounts. But God chose her and has woven her name into his family tree. And what did she know? Not much, but it was enough to save her and to spur her into action. And what did she do? She did ordinary, practical things. She was wise, she was courageous and willing to take risks. And she saw what she did through, even though she wasn't perfect. So she saves herself and her family. Okay? Um, it's also an early outworking of the promise that God made in Genesis chapter 12 and that he would use the Israelites uh, as a way to save all people. She wasn't part of the Israelites and yet she's one of the early people called into his family in that way. And if you, like me, like Rahab, maybe feel ordinary or unlikely, take heart. We are exactly the kind of people that God loves, that he saves and that he has plans for. So let me pray to finish. Heavenly Father, give us faith that, like it did for Rahab, lifts us from our ordinary and unlikely position and causes us to be resolute in the actions that we take for the kingdom of God. Give us wisdom to use each day what you have given us. Give us boldness where there may be risk involved. Give us strength where we are weak and grace where we are prone to mistakes. Give us endurance to see to the end the work that you have started. Thank you that you are in the habit of using ordinary people in your extraordinary purposes. We ask you to use us for whatever you will. Amen.